So what I want to do to start, we're going to look back through the first chapters that we've already covered and look at some of the terminology that has been, has been used. So start thinking about that. What, what terms have been used for those that are saved and those that are under law or those that are pre-salvation? So all the way through chapter 6, what kind of terms have you seen regarding their, their situation, um, their uh, standing with God, their standing with sin? What type of terms would you say? So let's go with the terms that are used of those before Christ, before Salvation. So what kind of things do you see? For instance, in chapter 1, you'd see several different things. But one of them, you see wrath of God against all unrighteousness. So wrath of God would be a term. What other things have you seen throughout the book? Any, any terms at all for pre-saved? Go ahead. Under the law, yes. And they in that condition. So what, what things describe that? I mean, we can say under the law. That's a term as well. What else? Enemies. Enemies. Enemies of Christ or enemies. Haters of God. Haters of God. Where did that come from? Right there. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. Foolish hearts. Slaves to sin. What about your... your? Uh, can't ask the question without giving the answer. <laughs> Alive or dead? Which one, <laughs> which one is it? <laughs> dead? Dead in sin? Uh, what, was, what was reigning... In, in their lives. Slaves of sin. Slaves of sin. So sin was reigning and death was reigning. Sin, go ahead. Dishonorable passions. Dis yes, dishonorable passions. What's the other word? Degrading, degrading passions. Yes, is another way that's translated, I think. Yes. May it never be. May it never be. <laughs> okay. In reference to a couple different things there, but good. Um, yes? Debased minds. Debased minds, going in with that list of things, the, the degrading passions. Worthy of death. Worthy of death. Did not see fit to acknowledge God. Did not see fit to acknowledge God. Very good. Stubborn, unrepentant, and God gave them, over. gave them over to their passions or whatever it was. Okay. All right. So we got a lot of terms throughout this that would describe those in that condition that were under the law without Christ. Yes. Okay, good, good point. Not all of them are under the law, but 
all of them were under law. It even mentions and kind of combines them at one point. It's like they're, you know, even if they weren't under the law of Moses, they had a inherent law that was given to them. So, and I think, I think I see in Romans a lot, it's hard to differentiate between the law of Moses and just law in general. And sometimes even in the translation, it's like they don't know whether to translate it, the law as the law of Moses or just law. So I think the application is certainly the same in a lot. I don't, I don't disagree or doubt that Paul is probably primarily referring to the law of Moses. Uh, and in some of the instances, it, it is only the law of Moses that he's referring to because of the way that it progressed. You know, when he talks about it being, uh, you know, when it was given and those types of things and, and the time period of that. So, any thoughts on that? That's kind of what I would, how I would view that. All right, so uh, I think we pretty much covered it. Some pretty bad terminology used there and what, in, the, in that description of those, of those things. Now look at the other side. Now throughout this, there's a few references to the post-Christ or the one, those in, in Christ or those that are saved, or those that have been baptized or saved in Jesus. And I just gave you one, in Jesus or in Christ would be a term that was used. What are some other terms that you would find all the way up through chapter 6 of those in Christ? <clears throat> Slaves to righteousness, so in a direct contrast. Peace with God. Peace with God, yes. Under grace. Under grace. Alan? Justified. Justified. What's the relationship to sin? Who's the master? So we're now died to sin or freed from sin. Uh, you know, Christ is the master now and not sin. What else? Old self was crucified. The old self was crucified, done away with. Dead. Crucified means dead. We had the wrath of God before. What do we have now? We're saved from wrath. We are reconciled. May have already said that one. What else? Justified. Made righteous. Justified, made righteous. Raised. Reconciled. Reconciled. Under grace. Under grace. Grace is reigning. We had death, and we're in life, and I think redeemed. So think about those terms, and, in, and when you start hearing those, it, it leads you, it shows you one side or the other of this story. And some of the verses you'll read, it'll show both. You know, you were this, and it'll contrast it. Now we're in this. 
but I think it's pretty clear those terms that are used in that and that's going to be important later we need to keep those in mind so all those things describing before Christ and in Christ newness of life, newness of life. very good there's probably many more that we missed yes Fully atoned. Atoned. Interesting. I can't remember where I found that or where that was found, but I like it. All right. So we're working through this up to chapter 7. So there's a couple other things throughout the previous chapters I'm going to look at. Uh, some of them are the preparation for 7. Some of them are just things I forgot to mention last time. So I'm going to throw that in there as well. <laughs> um, Chapter 6 we looked at, and it is basically died to sin is what chapter 6 is about. And there's a couple verses that, that sort of bookend that chapter. So in 521, as sin reigned, and here we're going to see some of those terms, as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then jump over to 623, so the last verse of chapter 5, and now over the last verse of chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in between that, we have us dying to sin. And that, that is the bookend, bookends of that. Very similar verses, saying very, very similar things, kind of a summing up what we've been looking at in that. Also in chapter 6, verses 21 and 22, I don't know if we spent much time on this, therefore what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, Having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. So the interesting that word derived, I don't know how else that's translated, but uh, what, did you, what did you get out of living in those, in those things? Well, here's what you got. You got death. Now, what are you going to get out of living in Christ? But now you're that you're freed from that sin and enslaved to God. Any thoughts, comments on that? So chapter 6, being dead to sin. Chapter 7, chapter 7 is going to be talking about being dead to the law. So he goes through a couple different things. Dead to sin, dead to the law. And then chapter 8 going to contrast the flesh versus the spirit. So that's kind of the whole point of those chapters. That helps if you think about Paul trying to, trying to make a point. He says, I'm going, to, I'm going to show you that you are dead to sin in this section. And he bookends it with a couple of verses. I'm going to show you that. So as we're going through there and we get a few verses, it's like, well, I'm not sure, you know, does this mean, did he jump way over here to another subject? The general topic is you're dead to sin. I think the same thing in chapter 7, we're dead to the law. So that's the general topic of that, and he's going to be showing that. So keep that in mind.
So the law had, I don't know what word to use there. No matter what word you use, it sounds like you're saying God messed up or something. But, and that's not it at all. But the, but the law had problems, okay? Paul's pointing that out. There's, there's something about the law that was insufficient or something. Think about some of the verses that we have seen throughout Romans that point that out. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, Hebrews talks about the ineffectiveness of the law. It wasn't that God had made a law that was bad or, or ineffective itself. It was just they could not keep it. Okay, the ineffectiveness of it. Yes. So, yeah, I want to get to that in a minute. It's like, what... Maybe the question, what was the purpose of the law? And once you see the purpose of the law, you see that it, it did exactly what its purpose was. But its purpose was not sufficient to take care of our sins. So it did what it was designed for. Yes? Exactly. Yeah, so the law showed the sin. It pointed out the sin. It, you could say the law made them sinners. Because if you hadn't had the law, they couldn't have broken the law. But the law is what pointed out that they had a problem and that they had a need. So there are several things we could look at through here. But in chapter 3, verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Hmm. Okay, so the law can't justify uh, any, any flesh. And through the law, and also in that verse, 320, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Okay, looking over 328. Um, a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So again, the law couldn't justify and in chapter 4, verse 13, For the promise to Abraham is his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the law didn't, didn't provide uh, that promise. And in verse 15, For the law brings about wrath. Wow, that doesn't sound very good about, about the law. Brad over here to Brad, please. So several things throughout this point out there was a deficiency or a problem with the law.
I agree. That's why I hesitate what term to use there. Because God provided it and it did it did what God ultimately wanted it to do. Like Bob was pointing out, it pointed out the sin and the need for Christ. So what what I don't have my Jews and Gentiles up here. I think you guys are the Jews tonight, all right? You guys are the Jews. What did you what do you guys think about the law? Or what did the Jews think about the law? So we were just talking about what it did or didn't do. What did the Jews think? I think that's right. I think the Jews would have looked at it as salvation, or at least they would have looked at it as the way to prevent sin. Follow these laws that prevents sin. But I don't think that was the purpose of the law. The, the purpose of the law was actually to point out the sin. So if we say, so was the law in, what was it? What, what, how do you, again, what term do you use? Was the law bad? No, it did exactly what the law was supposed to do. It pointed out the sin. That was its purpose. That's, that's like, you know, if you have something here, I have this remote, it has a purpose. And if I drive nails with it, and it's like, man, this remote is no good. Well, that's not the purpose of the remote, to drive nails. The purpose is to turn on the overhead. Uh, so it, it served its purpose. Its purpose was not to forgive the sins. Its purpose was to point out the sins. So that's where Paul used some of that language. It's like, I wasn't even a sinner until the law came along and all of a sudden it made me one. Yep, it, it pointed out where you have sinned. Thoughts, comments on that? So I do think the Jews would have looked at it as a means to prevent sin. Right up here, Paul. But I don't think that was, would have been accurate. When I think about this, I wonder if because the law was given to the Jews, that they, they just kind of clung, that, clung to that almost as their heritage or their, their ticket, you know, that they were, they were God's chosen people. And so to step away from that, was Exactly, and I have no way, uh, you know, no numbers or anything, but what percentage of the Jews were in that camp and what 
you know, were there those that, well, they actually figured out what it was really meant and where they, where they fit in the program and how Jesus was coming. And, you know, I like to think that there were several <laughs> or, uh, you know, a lot, a few, maybe whatever, but actually had, it, had the right view of that. And when Jesus came, it's like, this fits everything, and, and they're looking for that. And then others that held up the law itself as the salvation. I think we mentioned that early on in the class about some of the things that the Jews thought about the Torah, you know, some ancient, you know, some of the writings and stuff. And it's like they thought, you know, anybody that followed the Torah would never be, you know, sentenced to hell or, you know, Gehenna or the, the, the term that they would use or something. So it's like if you follow the Torah, you follow the law, there is, there's nobody that does that that's going to be lost because it is salvation. Paul saying, obviously, that's not the case. Other thoughts? So in chapter 6, to kind of make this point about dying to sin, and then chapter 7 being dying to the law, is some of the comparisons. So in chapter 6, verse 2, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And in 6, looking uh, 18, like 18 through 22 in that area, we've been, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and the lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And in verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. Chapter 6, verse 14, sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law but under grace. Um, And I already mentioned 19, enslaved to righteousness. So compare that to chapter 7. Looking in the first verses, especially, let's go to verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined another to him. Uh, Verse 6, released from the law. And goes on in verse 6, serve in newness of the Spirit. So, got a new master. So, the comparisons from 6 and 7... Paul made the point, we're dead to sin. Paul is going to make the point, we're dead to the law. And some of the same terms tying those together. Paul uses several things throughout the book, but especially in chapter 6, you'll see uh, several different times he says the phrase like, or do you, do you not know, or do you know, or knowing this. Almost like a reminder. He's teaching them. He says, now, you guys already know this. But he repeats it and makes the application to that. He does that in verse 3. Or do you not know? Like all of us have been baptized. We're baptized into Jesus Christ. In verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified. You know this. And in 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer master over him. Knowing these things. He starts chapter 7. Or do you not know? Brethren. Again, something 
And I get the idea sometimes with this, it's those things that, yes, they've read it over and over and over, and they know it, uh, you know, academically, they could recite it, or do you not know? And then he tells them, I think you're missing maybe the meaning there a little bit. You got the, you know what the verse is, or you know what the, the, the law said, or you know what the prophecy said. But here's the application of those things. Any thoughts or comments on any of that? So was the law was the law good or bad? It was it was good. Does it does it say that it was good? Yes, it does. It says the law was good. In fact, there are several things in chapter 7 that you would look at and say, I think would be, you would expect a coming from God. But in chapter 7, verse 12, the law is holy. Verse 14, the law is spiritual. Verse 16, um, the law is good. And in verse 25, it's the law of God. So was it good? Yes. Um, verse 7, is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary. The law itself isn't the sin. And even going back to chapter 3, well, what advantage does... What advantage do they have that followed the law? You know, if you're just saying it was worthless, throw it out altogether? No, actually, it was great. It did what it was supposed to do. All right, I think we're ready for chapter 7. <laughs> yes, over here, Brad. <clears throat>
used the way it was intended. And so I think maybe one of those might resonate a little bit, but they're, you know, they're now. All right, I'm not sure which one of those I want to dig into any deeper. <laughs> so in the, in the fishing one, am I the fish or am I? No. <laughs> I understand the point. It is. It's difficult, yes. Yeah, and in some ways, the, you know, the Jews looked at it as they didn't have a need for God because they had what they thought was sufficient in place of that. So that's why Paul, I think, is really trying to hammer that home. No, you're in the same boat as those that don't even have the law. You still need Jesus. All right, so we start in chapter 7, and in the first verses, or do you not know, brethren... For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she does not she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So what Trying to look at this, see how, how to view this. What, what is Paul teaching about marriage here? And maybe that's a trick question, but is he, what is he teaching about marriage? N- nothing, Alan? She's, she's bound to her husband as long as he lives. And if she's joined to another, then she commits adultery. But he's just making the point here, this is like the law. The law, as long as you live, you are bound to it. But there's going to be a time when something's going to change, and you're no longer going to be bound to it. It's going to die. Okay. Yes, so what I guess I'm getting at here is they... (laughs) This isn't the extent of the Bible teaching on marriage, is it? I mean, (laughs) okay. So... The point 
is almost as another one of those, don't you know? Don't you know what the law of marriage is? Yeah, as long as the husband's still alive, the woman can't go get married to somebody else because he's still alive. So she's under that law. I don't get the impression that, that Paul is saying, hey, Romans, let me teach you some things about marriage. I know I was talking about law and salvation and Christ and all those things, but time out a second, I gotta I got give you some information about marriage. I don't see that at all. Yes, it's a truism. it is truth about marriage, but he's using that to represent, as Alan was saying, it is to get across another point. So, uh, who are we in this story? The woman, the man, and the law of the husband. We gotta figure out the characters there to figure out how that applies to us. So, are we, are we Christ or are we The old law, the new law, ourselves, or how do we apply that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the only thing that it doesn't fit perfectly, as in any analogy, I mean, as in the fishing analogy, <laughs> it, doesn't fit, it doesn't fit perfectly with every character because I think the law is the husband. But who died? Well, the husband died, so the woman can remarry, but with us and the law, who died? We actually died to the law, right? That's what he's saying. You have died to that law. But I think that is the general truth of that in the marriage thing. If either one of them dies, then the other is free to to remarry. Not only that, but one of them would have to die before you could marry another. So if you're under the law, one of you's got to die before you can be joined, married to Christ. And that's exactly what he's using this as. Die to the old law and be married to the new, to Jesus. the law bound the two together. It does in the husband and wife, and it would be, I think even the term here would be the law of husband. You're under the law of husband, of the husband. But when that, when that relationship, when you die to that, so we would have been, and he's talking to the Jews especially here, would have been under that law. You're bound to that law 
But when one of you dies to that, and they would die to the law, now you're free. Now you're free to go to another. Yes? Different spouse, yes. Uh, it's the same, it, it is. That is the analogy. It says husband and wife, they're married, one dies, now you can go on to another one. You guys are married to the law, you're in the law, you're bound by the law, but if you die to that law, now you're free to go to another. Therefore, my brother, verse 4, you also were made to die to the law. So he's making the direct comparison. Yep, husband and wife, and now you were die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another. Okay, use the exact same language, you can be joined to another, and who is it? To him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit from God. Alan. I was going to say that was just said. Say it better, please. The purpose of the marriage was to bear fruit or to bear children. And the purpose of our marriage to Christ sums up the last thing that you said, we are to bear fruit. Okay. Interesting. I hadn't made that connection to bearing fruit, but yeah, the marriage initially, that's, you know, that's what he's talking about there, bearing fruit as the children, and then for us to go out and bear fruit as well. Other thoughts on that? Okay. Um, Verse 5, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. What is the term flesh? You were in the flesh. Is it the body? Probably not just the physical body, because what's the problem with that? Go ahead. I've got marked that it's one who is ruled by sin. Ruled by sin or ruled in the flesh or by the fleshly desires, which we, we use that or hear that term. So yeah, flesh meaning the sinful side of man or body or whatever. Because if you try to take that literal, and it's like, all right, I got rid of the, I got rid of the flesh. But here I am. <laughs> what are you? You know, you're a cyborg or something like that. Yes. Yeah, 
Excellent. I think that's exactly right. The flesh being the works of the law or trying to be justified by those, by the, by the physical force, by your flesh, by the law. All right, another term to keep in mind as we get into farther into chapter 7. It's going to be important. So the flesh and how that relates or what that means for us. Um, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So in verse 4, we that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 5, in the flesh, we're going to be bearing fruit for death. Verse 6, but now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So again, released from the law. One of the, one of the two in the marriage have died. Now you're released from that law. Now you can be bound to a new one and serve in the newness of the Spirit. So we've talked a lot about the law. Go ahead, Alan. I was thinking it's clear in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. If man is sufficient to be ministered with a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter here appeals to the Spirit gives life. That ties into what he's saying here. The Spirit gives you this new way, which is the new letter, not the old letter, but the life-giving letter. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's almost a repeat of what of what he's saying here. Very good. So we're talking about this, um, this law and dying to this law and whether was the law good? Was the law bad? What could the law do? Did it do what it was supposed to do? Well, the problem with the law is that it just couldn't provide salvation. It was powerless to save. So it did its purpose, but its purpose wasn't to save. So, I think chapter 8 and verse 3 kind of wraps up this whole thought in chapter 7. He goes through all of this and he gets to the end of this section or starting into a new idea. And verse 3 in chapter 8 it says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh. What the law could not do, what the law wasn't designed to do, it wasn't designed to save people. It was more designed to point out the need for Christ. And I appreciate Here's, here's the question then. I, I understand exactly what you're saying. What about people that lived by faith under the old law? Or even before the old law? What, what saved them? It was the same thing that saves us. 
It was a belief in the Savior and doing the best we can to obey him and being that being counted to them as righteousness as it was to Abraham. So it wasn't like, and I, I understand <laughs> the terminology is very difficult. It wasn't like we had no chance under the old law. And, and when Christ came, it wasn't like he said, okay, now I've figured out how to save all these people from now on. And then it's like, now I've got to figure out what to do with all those people from way back there. What have, I mean, what am I going to do with them? You know, they're all lost. Yes? The contrast between flesh and spirit is made several times in the Bible. One is uh, Isaiah 31, where Isaiah is drawing contrast between those who go to Egypt, rely on horses, trust in chariots but don't look to the Lord. And the Bible says the Egyptians are men and not God. Their horses are flesh not spirit. It's Isaiah 31 verses 1 through 3. The terms men and flesh are parallel. And the terms God and spirit are parallel in Isaiah 31 1 through 1. And so um so that contrast appears in the Old Testament as, as well, though it's strengthened in Galatians 5 and, and places like that. But one of the things that you said earlier, uh, that the law, the law is good. The law, he says that it's holy, righteous, and good in verse 12. The enemy in verses 7 through 13 is not the law, but sin. Right. And sin is connected to death. And I think that's the same point with Romans 3, 19 and 20, which you mentioned earlier, that by the work of by uh, that the law reveals sin in 415, the law brings wrath, law reveals sin, exposes sin, convicts sin, but it doesn't provide a remedy for sin. The remedy for sin. The law pointed to this. Right. They sacrificed the figure. They foreshadowed Jesus, but it doesn't provide the Excellent. I love the Isaiah thing because that's kind of, maybe that's what I'm kind of getting at. They had, an, they had a choice, even under the old law, to live not by the flesh, which would have been the strength of man, but rely on God. And that's what would save people then. Of course, it needed Christ to complete that. But that's what, when Christ, when Christ died to save people, it automatically went back and saved those people that were relying on God as well. Again, God didn't have to, he's like, man, I don't know, do a grandfather clause or something to get these, old, these other people in because, you know, I had no idea what I'm going to do with that. And... This was all part of the plan. It wasn't like, well, the old law failed, so let's, let's try plan B. Let me come up with something else and see what this does. It was all part of that plan. Thank you for the comments in class. We will pick up right there next time.